We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Now let's go win those fantasy championships. We're talking league-wide trends and implications with Kevin Cole of PFF on Rotoviz Radio. Hello and welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Rotoviz, joined for this episode by Kevin Cole, who those of you that have followed Rotoviz for some time surely know, but Kevin is currently a data scientist with the research and development team at PFF. He produces written content and hosts the Unexpected Points podcast. Kevin, good to have you back on the Rotoviz Airways. How's it going? It's going well. I mean, good to be back. I know my uh story as far as being involved in the fantasy football quote-unquote real football industry kind of all started with rotoviz you know as part one out to uh for a man fantasy douche uh kind of <laughs> discovering me maybe the wrong terminology for that but it's probably one of the first accounts that i respected a ton who started following work that i did and then i wrote some content there and everything else that went on so that was kind of the the origin story i guess you could say for me Nice. Well, it's good to have you back because you now look at, you know, a lot of implications in the real football world. Obviously, via that, you're versed in the fantasy world as well. We have two games under our belt, so there's a lot more to unfold this season. But I kind of wanted to pick your brain on some things, get your thoughts, dig into things kind of outside of the fantasy realm. But we might bring some of that back in. Uh, so just to start off here, uh, has anything surprised you thus far, things that you think people should be focusing on that we just simply didn't expect? Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, a, a major surprise, but I think there are some dynamics that have played out year over year, which 
have some interesting effects on results. I mean, first of all, uh, scoring has been one of those things where it hasn't been totally muted versus historical averages, but we had this total outlier last season where there's a scoring explosion that went on. So I think bringing the, the fans back in has had a bigger effect than I thought it would. I mean, I know that you'd think, oh yeah, you know, obviously <laughs> like not having any fans there should have a big effect. But as far as how that's actually affecting the offenses and how they're playing, that seems to be a big thing. Uh, penalties are a pretty big issue this year, year over year. Now, last year, the amount of holding calls per game, it was a de-emphasized thing, I guess you could say, year over year, and it went way down. And now that seems to have jumped back up. Uh, it's jumped back up an eligible man downfield, things like that. So I think there have been some impediments that have been put on to the offensive side of the ball from a penalty perspective that have held things down. So that was something that was a little bit surprising to me and I wasn't expecting. And I guess we'll see how things play out going forward. But it's something that you're going to have to start building into some of your assumptions for if you're looking at, you know, betting totals or things of that nature. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty interesting uh, to hear. Um, I guess it's kind of natural. There's going to be a bit of a change when things swing from where we were last year without fans in the stands. Yeah. That kind of odd season. Let's get into some specific players though. Uh, there's two quarterbacks. I wanted to get your thoughts on who find themselves in new situations. Uh, Matthew Stafford and Teddy Bridgewater Stafford. I think a lot of people had really high hopes for Bridgewater. A lot of people probably thought it could go either way at this point. He's been pretty solid averaging nearly 300 yards and two touchdowns per game. Could you kind of break down what you're seeing from them, maybe with some of the advanced stats that you would look at and how you're feeling about their performances so far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to... I'm not going to take a full L on Matthew Stafford, but I'll maybe take like a, a partial. I'll get like the top half of the the L so far and what's <laughs> gone on here. I mean, he's been extremely efficient. I mean, it hasn't been a lot of volume that, that we've seen from, from him. Uh, there've been a lot of these bigger plays have been mixed in and we've all seen the results that have come through for Cooper cup as a part of this, but he's been the second most efficient quarterback in the NFL when it comes to EPA per play so far this year. He's been grading extremely high. So he has proven out to be good so far this year. But again, we're only two games in. I mean, he's someone where if you're going to look at a career projection that I would have had on him, he's more someone I would have had in the teens as opposed to coming into the season from an MVP odds perspective. I think he was sixth or seventh in the league above some other guys who have had much more illustrious careers at least so far from a statistical perspective so he's proven out to be pretty good through two games right and when it comes to uh teddy bridgewater i mean bridgewater i think has been kind of what we expected with a little bit more upside i mean he goes to prove i think what we've seen in carolina and now what we're seeing in denver that for a lot of quarterbacks in the nfl their surrounding circumstances matter quite a bit i mean when he was playing in minnesota early in his career there wasn't a whole lot that, that he had around him from a weapons perspective. It was before guys like Adam Thielen really emerged and Stefan Diggs kind of came on at the, at the end of his, his time there. So we, we didn't see a whole lot from him there. He had an okay season with Carolina, which had some ups and downs. And now he's gone over to Denver, who even though Jerry Judy is out, you know, they really have a lot of different places they can go with the ball. They almost had too many mouths to feed there when you had Judy and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant and even KJ Hamler, who I kind of think is a sneaky good player there too. So I think he's been a product of 
that system there and and has played well. What, what I think is interesting is another guy who didn't mention though is Sam Darnold. How he fits yep. into this whole mix is the fact that they you know paid some of Bridgewater's salary, gave up a second round pick to bring Sam Darnold in, and Darnold's done well. But we look at what Teddy Bridgewater is doing, and is he really an upgrade for all, for all of that stuff that they had to do with, with Darnold? So I, I think you know Bridgewater is just proving again that he is your kind of middling quarterback who has upside depending upon the circumstance. Sure. And as you alluded to, there are really good cast around him in comparison yeah. to what he's seen before. So from a fantasy perspective, we've been pretty excited about all of the players in that offense. Albert O's actually been doing all right. And then KJ Hamler, uh, Sean Siegel has been in love with and uh, <laughs> I've got a bit in a similar place with him. I like to see him out snapping Tim Patrick a little bit more, quite honestly. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I like his uh, his upside. Right. Yeah, that's that's actually right. Tim Patrick is easy to forget about, but uh, he's managed to, from a fantasy perspective, at least be fairly involved the last couple of years. Uh, and actually, I was looking at things today. One of the most added players in FFPC leagues uh, for week two. So kind of interesting there. So one thing that I'm curious about, and I think this is kind of actionable from a fantasy perspective, if there are any teams or players that you think are a mirage, maybe they've gotten off to a hot start through these first two games, but given what you know about these teams, it seems unsustainable. Yeah, I mean, mirage, I don't know if I'm going to quite go that that far, okay. but I think I'll say that there are some guys where if you're looking to package a trade where either you can take one of these guys and maybe get a couple of players who may be equivalent, you know, in their own right, uh, just each one of them come in their own right or something like that. Um, we're talking about Matthew Stafford. So I guess I'll talk about Cooper cup. I yep. mean, I love Cooper cup. I mean, I had Cooper cup rated quite higher than Robert Woods. Robert Woods was actually the guy I didn't quite understand his preseason ADP. Um, just being that, he had been a very healthy player and he had never really played at that level, but he and cup were seen as being a, you know, one, a one B situation. So now I think while I was higher on cup going in now that he is, you know, the, the number one receiver, I think even in fantasy football right now, I think maybe if you can package him, that would be something that would be interesting. I've saw some, and we want to talk about a sentiment analysis. Now <laughs> Twitter is not necessarily the best place to see this or, you know, these morning uh, NFL shows aren't the best place to see this, but I saw a non ironic question being asked as to whether or not he was the best receiver in the NFL. So when that sort of wow. stuff comes out for Cooper cup, and as much as I love, uh, Cooper cup and what he can do there, you know, maybe that's the time to see if you can sell high a little bit on him. And from, a real football perspective, the more than a fantasy football perspective, yep. Kyler Murray, uh, I think Kyler Murray is still great from a fantasy football perspective, as long as he's not injured and, he, and he's still running the ball. But I think that offense and the way that they've accumulated, you know, points and yards so far this season, it's been a lot of, you know, throw the ball out there and go get us something from Kyler Murray, whether he's running around and he's figuring things out, he's really making plays all the time. He's doing things where he's running. And I think from, a real football perspective that can work to a certain point. I just don't know if we could go a whole season with him just doing backyard football and continuing to play that way. So he would be a guy and that would be an offense in Arizona where I'd be a little bit concerned going forward on how they're going to continue to produce on the same level they have. Um, and then, you know, last week, obviously they could have lost that game because he made a couple of major mistakes because they're just asking him to do a lot and maybe a little bit too much to be sustainable. 
Okay, yeah, that's that's interesting because I think the Cardinals are one of those more exciting teams. Yeah, a lot, lot of players there. Uh, while we're talking about them, one thing that I would be interested to get your perspective on uh, that receiving core with the performance that we already saw from Rondell Moore. Do you think as this season plays out, we're going to see things where it's Hopkins and Moore leading the charges, the receivers in that offense, and Kirk and AJ Green, who I think should take a back seat, <laughs> really do take a back seat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the ghost of AJ Green past is like still running out there for some reason. I remember uh, week one, like these <laughs> announcers, they couldn't stop talking about AJ Green being there, and I'm like, do you guys realize, uh, like, someone needs to put his fantasy football ADP in front of these guys so they realize that he <laughs> is, you know, the 70th best uh, receiver according to a wisdom of crowd sort of effect. But yeah, no, I think for Ron Demar, I mean, I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping we don't have a situation like we saw last year in Cincinnati with AJ Green, where he just continued to be targeted over and over again, because he's really the only inefficient receiver that they've been targeting so far this year. And I hope it's not coming to the detriment of DeAndre Hopkins, because we saw, you know, last week, I think he had one of his least targeted games in in his career there when he was only targeted at 12%. So with Rondale Moore, you know, he's the guy you're hoping is going to step up there. He went from, he, I think he jumped up about 20 something percent as far as the percentage of routes run that he was, he was running week after week. So yeah, I'm really hoping that'll take over, but you know, the assumption of rational coaching is something that you can get burnt <laughs> by sometimes, but at least for AJ green, you know, they don't have a long-term commitment on him. So I think he was a good, signing for some PR perspective, some other things, but I'm just hoping he is not, you know, the every down guy going forward. And I think that is going to happen. But like, again, you, you never know with, uh, with coaching, what will end up happening in the end. Yeah, you really don't. And you'd like to think that though the team invested heavily into more, that's going to be a good signal, but we don't always see that working out. You know, an example that comes to mind of a player that popped early last year was Chase Claypool. Now, obviously two very different players, but it shows how early on it's easy to kind of get sucked into thinking that this production is going to continue when it may not. Uh, of course, though, with more, I'm hoping that it does continue. Um, so obviously you are big into the stats. You love digging into all things football. There are anything like any crazy stats or anything really fascinating that you have seen so far? Yeah, I mean, maybe I kind of uh, preempted myself here. We're talking about some of the penalty stuff. So that's yep. something that, that I think has been big that we've seen so far this year. Uh, I've also think we've seen some muted uh, quarterback stats from a few guys, which which is is interesting. And then we're seeing, you know, this running quarterback phenomenon that's going further and further this year. And with Fields and then maybe Lance coming into play, I think that that's interesting. I mean, I, I just think that from like a, a team building type of perspective, we're really seeing things shift and maybe a floor being raised with how these quarterbacks are running so much here. And, it, you know, it's even more reflective in fantasy football. I mean, just to bring it back to a fantasy yep. angle so far this year, I mean, we have Tom Brady, who people are going nuts about from a real football perspective. You know, he has nine touchdowns so far he's he's you know leading the team and a lot of people's perspective on who could be the number one quarterback in the nfl and then you have other guys who is someone like a jalen hurts who hasn't been nearly as productive if you watched his games you probably think he's not doing that much and then you look up and he's only you know a handful of points behind tom brady in the scoring this year so i think it's just really incredible how this kind of niche philosophy of having the running quarterback has just become so dominant now that it just really doesn't give you much upside. I mean, look at someone like Justin Herbert, right? When we talk about these young, exciting quarterbacks, I think he has 11 rushing yards so far this year. 
And just because of that alone, despite the fact that people are going gaga over the throws that he's making so far this year, he just cannot compete with these guys who are also running so much. So I think it's just really some like a trend that we saw coming, which is now just completely overwhelmed. And it's almost like if you want to really have upside in the quarterback season, you just have to get a rushing quarterback at this point. Yeah, well, it's definitely something that has been on the horizon now for a couple of seasons in fantasy football, and it seems to have fully manifested. And I don't remember, it's probably if the, we haven't seen in history a group of quarterbacks as competent in totality as rushers as we have right now. So that's that's definitely a, an interesting one there. Um I know that you talked recently about Kevin Stefanski's perfect decision-making in the Chiefs and Browns opener. Now, this is the type of thing we haven't talked on Rotoviz Radio about in a long time. I believe back in the day, I heard you and Josh Hermsmeyer at one point breaking down some coaching decisions and whatnot. Could you kind of walk us through the type of things that you're going to be looking at at PFF to kind of evaluate how coaches are coaching and then why in the case of Stefanski, uh, you know, he called such a good game to open the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are two different elements to him. There's the fairly obvious element of, you know, you're running either our numbers that we run on some of these fourth down decisions or, you know, the public information that a lot of people are seeing out there through Ben Baldwin and, and his information that he provides out to the public is, you know, are you making the right decision on some of these fourth down calls? So I think that's important. But I think the second level, and this is something that's impressed me a ton about what Stefanski has done and really kind of puts them on a different level, I think, than even some of the co- some of the coaches like John Harbaugh who have made some good decisions is the fact that, they seem to be prepared for the decision before you get to the decision, mm-hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. Like they're not, you never see them taking timeouts before they're going for fourth down. You never see them calling plays on third down. And then you look back and you're like, wait a second, why did you call that play on third down knowing that you were in a go for it on fourth down sort of situation? I've seen multiple times this year where they have either run the ball on third and medium situations and then gone for it on fourth down, where normally you would never do that because the chance of converting on third down is so much lower running the ball, but they know that they're setting up the next play. And I think it's, it's just things like that, having the game management where you have preordained what you're going to do in certain situations and then you execute on it where you're not... And the only way you can do that is you eliminate some of these periphery things like oh, how am I feeling about the offensive line? How am I feeling about this? How am I feeling about that? These these things that kind of muddy the decision-making for coaches. He doesn't seem to have that much. He seems to know, like, we've pre-planned this because I know that I'm going to go with what we've determined is the correct course of action in advance. And when you do that, you're just going to have not only the right fourth down decisions, but the right third down decisions, but the right timeout decisions. All these different things are coming into play, and they're coming together for the Browns and Stefanski this year. Yeah, what I like about approaches like that too is it minimizes the opportunity for you to waver back and forth. And maybe sometimes you're making the right decision, but if you're not following right. some type of protocol, you can open yourself up to making the wrong decision more often than not. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Which, speaking of Kevin uh, Stefanski... I don't know if you saw this in the game over the weekend, there was a flag thrown uh, on what was it? It was on a third down. The Texans deferred taking a penalty to go from third and 10 to fourth and two. What do you think the analytics would say about that? Yeah. Yeah. That was a strange one. I mean, there were, there are like multiple outs that you could have had on that, (laughs) right? Like maybe you could have taken the fourth and two and then gone for it. So yeah, it was a third and 15 play. They ran a play where they were hoping to, I mean, it wasn't like a wide receiver screen, but they had guys who were like technically blocking downfield, knowing that it was going to be a play there. They pick up 13 yards. They get to the Browns 49 yard line and then on an offside penalty. Well, the best part about it was there's, you could see a, the camera on <laughs> Stefanski during that. And he kind of mouse like what? And he's talking <laughs> to someone up, up in the booth. Like he, he did not quite understand what went on. And when they talked to David Cully afterwards about it, you know, he says, yeah, if I had to do it over, I would have taken the, 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 the penalty and gone for it, which was probably the best out of all the different decisions that you could have made there, but he made the worst decision there. And I just, I just think it's like, it's really interesting that he's saying, you know, I was thinking about field position. This is a team that I believe it was a tie game at that point. They're a 12 and a half, 13 point underdog on the road. Like there's just so many reasons to end up going for it. And then just to, you know, to put the, the cherry on top there, they ended up, punting the ball into the end zone anyway. So then they only got like a net 29 yards out of the whole deal of punting the ball uh, in the end. Yeah, that was, that was hilarious and very, very wild. I haven't seen <laughs> things like that very often. <laughs> um, so we've hit upon, uh, you know, some players that we think could end up disappointing relative to where they are uh, and, and some players that might be looking good at the moment, like Cooper cup. There are any teams or maybe specific players that uh, are going under the radar, maybe a little underrated right now that we haven't really seen, you know, put themselves out there, but you'd still expect that we're going to see them perform well. Yeah. I mean, again, this is, I might be fudging a little bit on the the (laughs) the definition of under the radar, but I mean, maybe I'm just dying on a hill here, but I, I still think Saquon Barkley is going to be better than what people think going into this season. I mean, his workload has been plenty sufficient now. I mean, it hasn't been, you know, a top 10 workload so far, but if you think about the fact that he had a game on Sunday and then he came back the next Thursday to really get a dominant share, uh, according to our expected points model, he was, you know, well within the top 20, but he has more like a 50th outcome so far this season he's looked a little off i mean he has some there's some slipperiness to him but i think that's to be expected and it's an offense on the giants a lot of the things that people were worried about with the giants about the offense and they'd be so stagnant they didn't score touchdowns last year i mean they've been moving the ball okay and people are talking about hey let's stream daniel jones this week i mean Mm -hmm. people are somewhat excited about what they can do but i'm still not hearing a lot about barkley so i just think that the way this team's set up 
the way that Barclays Health is played out, the way that people need to save their jobs, maybe potentially. I mean, I don't think necessarily we're going to see Joe Judge be gone, but maybe Jason Garrett will be gone after yep. the season if they're not able to produce this year. I think for all of those reasons, Saquon Barkley can be very involved. And he's one of those guys where, yeah, it's a risk. Like there, there's a floor here, but if you're trying to, you know, jump in on a player now where you're hoping can save your fantasy season, he is, you know, he, he in one, at one point of his career in his rookie year, he was the number one overall fantasy running back. And I don't think that's out of the, the range of possibilities. So he's a guy that I would take a risk on right now, just because I think things are aligning for him. And people are a little bit disappointed, despite the fact that on the periphery, things that have happened, his recovery from the injury, his usage has all been positive so far. Well, you know, the other thing I think that people should keep in mind is we saw Wayne Gallman actually string together <laughs> a really nice stretch of games and That's score true. a lot of touchdowns. So, you know, if Saquon stops looking a little bit off um, at any point and gets back to what we've seen from Saquon before, that's just another reason to be encouraged to kind of piggyback though off of talking about Saquon if we kind of just you know take a couple steps back and think about Saquon in comparison to the hype that he had when he entered the league do you still you know there was this, a lot of talk about Saquon being this generational talent do you still think that when we're looking at Saquon he's this player that we should view as a very rare specimen or is he you know just your typical maybe you know really, really good running back that you're going to see, you know, a handful of each decade, even at that level. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I do think from a statistical standpoint, like a prospect profile type of standpoint, I mean, he was kind of generational as far as someone that big, that fast, that type of receiving production, that type of overall production, that type of explosive plays that he was making. I do think there's been some evidence though in the NFL that, the way that he plays and you never really know this because you never really know as far as how all the different pieces come together to, to come up with the results. But I think there's been some evidence in the way he plays that maybe this boom and bust type of runner um, isn't necessarily the best way to, to, to use a running back to be able to maintain drives and other things of that nature. I mean, you can look at like the success of guys like Nick Chubb and others who have really been able to, you know, break a lot of tackles and move forward in that way. They don't have the the receiving work. They don't necessarily have the shiftiness of someone like Barkley, but they've been more successful. But then again, he has a great offensive line, right? So in Cleveland. Yep. So it's really hard to disentangle all of those things. So, I mean, what I would say is I think it's just more evidence that even when you have a guy who, you know, if you were Dave Gettleman, like I get why Gettleman would have looked at him and said, this is the, maybe one of the best prospects I've ever seen as long as you're not accounting for positional value and <laughs> yeah i think that just goes into the 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 you know uh inherent nature crapshoot nature of the draft is you really can like he really could have been that great of a prospect and it really doesn't matter as long as if you're not taking positional value into account so give yourself an edge by doing that and i think that was more the problem than anything else well you know it's interesting um Derrick Henry has been off to an insane start, but I believe if you look at the EPA per play on him, he's actually like in the negative. Yeah. 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 He had a bad, he had a bad week one. He had a bad week one. So yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, you know, Henry keeps on owning the nerds here by, they just kept, kept on running the ball, even despite the fact that they were down last week, they kept on running the ball and then he was popping these big ones. So I think there is compelling evidence that Henry does add something above 
your you know runner above your replacement level or average runner. The problem is in the highest leverage plays and those sort of situations, you know, you'll still see him off of the field, which just seems insane when you think about you know a guy who's who you're going to say is the best player on the team. Yeah, I mean that really puts things in perspective when you think about it like that. Um, so you've talked about some of the penalty trends. Um, so this question might be redundant here, but I guess, um, you know, if there are any league wide trends from last year that are interesting to see carry into 2021 that you weren't expecting or anything new emerging, of course, I recognize that with two weeks, it's very hard for there to be trends that would have manifested. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also a longer timeline sort of trend that we're seeing a bit that's continued here. And that is just the fact that you're having this spread of uh, receiver scoring across not only the wide receiver one or the wide receiver two, but just the narrow distribution of targets has been a little bit less predictable than we would have thought so far this year. I mean, if you think about some of the situations like what we saw for the Minnesota Vikings, you were almost thinking it was a guarantee that with Irv Smith down with no credible wide receiver three, that there was going to be such a narrow target distribution. But what you're really seeing is this, this chess match between offenses and defenses continues to play out. And the fact that, you know, someone like KJ Osborne is coming in and he's getting a decent amount of targets and he's, and he's, and he's playing down the field and this and that, it's just weird to see that, that having played out. But at the same time, you know, you do have some sorts of situations like the Kansas city chiefs where I just never thought that they were going to be able to be that narrow and they've continued that for multiple seasons. So I think it's just a way these, these pieces have fit together on some of these offenses and the way they've been able to play there. And I think the trend towards this Shanahan, outside zone sort of uh, offense has really like, if you think about how many different teams are running some variation of that, I also think that is pretty interesting because you're seeing a little bit of an increase in uh, depth of target where for many, many years, it was a decrease in depth of target along with an increase in completion percentage, which then produced a higher yards per target. But I think that mix is also shifting a bit as we're seeing, as we're seeing the defenses change and the offenses change here. Wow. Okay. So that's actually a pretty interesting one. So from a fantasy perspective, would there be any ramifications of that, that people could look to exploit if they're ahead of the curve on that? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know that that's an interesting way to like how it should be framed from, from that perspective. I mean, I do think that again, I think it's a, perhaps it's a way of when you're talking about these play action, heavy systems that you are not looking for receivers who win as much in these one-on-one matchups. And you're more looking for how is the defense reacting to what you're doing and then taking what is offered to you. So I, I do think that in a lot of these systems, you may have fewer receivers out there, but you can't necessarily bank on certain players receiving the targets because they could just win these matchups. So I don't know. It's interesting to see how this plays out. Like we're only a couple of weeks into the season, so we'll see a bit further, but the instability of some of these, these top wide receivers um, and it has, has gone up or down, maybe a little bit has gone down. I would, I think it's gone up. I should say a little bit more than what we would have, hope for especially for people that are looking for this you know running back zero uh zero running back type of philosophy but um i don't know it's just it's just an interesting philosophy we're gonna have to see play out because so many teams are running very similar offenses at this point cool cool all right so um before i I have you break down for everybody what you're doing i have to go with one off script question here uh give me right now if you could go back in time, draft your fantasy team, 
right? Let's say that the round one players are gone, but you could pick any player after. And, and I can, you know, let you know if I think that you're picking a player that maybe is too much of a round one uh, after you pick it. But who would that player be that you'd like to the round two or after player based upon preseason ADP that you'd like to build your team around now? Well, I don't know. I mean, am I banking the points that have already, <laughs> have already happened? So, no, let's say so that you're not. Let's year. say that you're not. That's that. That's that's savvy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's an important distinction. Yeah. I would say. Um, geez, that that's a good question. I'm trying to think of like who has combined this workload that you could not imagine having imagined going forward. Um, Geez, you know what's what's interesting is like I might have said someone like a like a Daryl Henderson before he got injured yeah. because he's been one of these guys that really popped up as far as their workload is concerned. I mean, though that would be the most valuable, right? The most valuable yeah. is if you could say I'm finding this like mid round running back who people didn't know was going to end up being the guy. But I don't know if I can think of one right now who's ended up being that. I mean, Mike Davis looked good for a little bit, but then he ended up falling off. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd still be into someone like like Cooper Cup, although yep. I'm not sure that he would necessarily be the guy there. I mean, I guess Adam Thielen is someone who's performed so well yep. that I thought that he was undervalued in the fourth-ish sort of round anyway going into the season. So he's kind of proven out that maybe he's not necessarily going to continue the touchdown rate, but he's just like just knows what he's doing essentially in order to get open. So he would be another guy that I would be interested in there. And then if it came to the quarterbacks, I mean, I mentioned Jalen hurts a little bit earlier. I think I would be interested in him. And I know that it's not necessarily like he's been the highest scoring guy or he gives you the highest upside, but just for the fact that he was going, he had this weird trajectory through the off season because it's the super degenerates who were drafting at the very beginning of the off season really, really loved him. And I thought maybe it was a little bit too high for the fact that we didn't even know if he was going to be the starting quarterback. And then it kind of fell and people fell in love with other people. So I still think he's a guy where they didn't throw the ball a lot against the 49ers, but he's shown enough with the running to give him enough of a, of a floor there that I feel like he could be, he is like almost locked into being a top eight guy the rest of the season. Well, it's awesome that you mentioned it because heading into the season, Curtis and I were big fans of Jalen Hurts. He got a lot of love on the show. Uh, and at this point, I want to say every guest that has come on, since we don't often have guests, has talked about <laughs> Jalen Hurts. So it's worked out just incredibly well. Uh, but I will tell you what player I would not be building my team around who I would have liked to have in the beginning of the year. And that's Clyde edwards Lair. He has been a big disappointment yeah. for me. Um, I was expecting more target volume. I was expecting him to be a little bit more efficient this year, actually able to do stuff in the red zone, which we haven't seen. So I'm actually going to throw another one here at you. Uh, do you agree with my assessment that uh, the days of Clyde Edwards, Alaire is like a guy that uh, you should be excited about in your fantasy team might be dwindling. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I think he's in one of these weird spots where, I would label him as a buy low, but I don't know if people have completely capitulated on mm -hmm. him at this point is, is the problem. And I think his target share has been, it's, it's obviously not going to maintain as being as low as it has been so far. But my concern, I remember way, way back when in a year ago, when he was, <laughs> he was coming into the, to fantasy drafts and, you know, people like Lewis Riddick were saying that he, he should be the number one overall pick in some of these drafts and people were going nuts over him. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a smart dude, right? Like he's not going to throw the ball to, to his running back when he could throw the ball to 
Travis Kelsey or throw the ball to Tyreek Hill. So he's, you know, he's never been like as low as he has been so far this season where I think he's near the bottom. Uh, his, I think his running back target share might be like the lowest in the league yeah. right now. So he's never been that. But I, I think like his ceiling is probably in the middle of the league. Like I just don't think he's ever going to go higher than that because no matter what happens, he's never going to decide I'm going to become the check down guy who's going to have my first read be the running back. So I do think there probably is a ceiling problem with Edward Solaire. And for that reason, I don't know if I can even declare him a buy low at this point until you get real capitulation for those who own him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we, Curtis and I talked earlier in the week on the show about that. And uh, that was kind of very similar to the conclusion that we came to. So, uh, you know, goes back in time and really reaffirms the position for the people that stuck with Jonathan Taylor as their uh, number one overall <laughs> coming out of that class. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor might be a little undervalued here too. He, he, he hasn't, I mean, I think everyone on their, and the, you know, and their mother has seen the fact that he's gotten like a billion carries inside the 10 and zero touchdowns. So I think everyone's hip to that probably right now too. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Kevin, appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell us about, you know, the different things that you have going on at uh, PFF about your podcast, where people can find you some of the cool things that you're working on. Sure. Sure. I mean, you can always see everything uh, on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. So I do a series of articles every week for the Island games, for the different showdown single game contests that you see at DraftKings. Uh, those have ended up being pretty popular. I do a weekly quarterback rankings updates where I bring in, you know, EPA for play and then our grading together and, and, you know, mix those together just to figure out who the best quarterbacks have been so far this year and compare that to their career rankings that I've put in there. So that that's part of what I've been doing. And then, as you mentioned, podcasting, the unexpected points podcast, where I'm doing that a couple of times a week. And then also um, every Tuesday, I'm joined by Ryan Paganetti, who was a assistant linebackers coach, but more importantly, the game management specialist who was on the headset with Doug Peterson through their run the last few years. And he worked strictly in analytics before that. And he joins me to break down some of the games. And we talk about a bu bunch of different scenarios there. So the podcasting uh, is also something I'm doing a couple times a week. Yeah. And that's really cool to be able to get the perspective of somebody like that. So anybody out there that uh, got interested listening to Kevin talk about the coaching and some of the decisions and, you know, pretty much anything related to the analytical side of football, I would recommend that you go and check that out. So appreciate you coming back on the uh, RotoBiz Network. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks again for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. So a lot of fun talking with Kevin through some of these league-wide trends, uh, quarterbacks on new teams, what have you. I will be back with you uh, Saturday morning to review some of the weekly GLSP projections that we have up on the site. Until then, thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.